Section 14 of An Editor's Tales by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Spotted Dog, Part 1, The Attempt, Continued. The first step which we took on his behalf was one the very idea of which had at first almost moved us to ridicule. We made inquiry respecting Mr. Julius Mackenzie of Mr. Grimes, the landlord of the Spotted Dog. Though Mr. Grimes did keep the Spotted Dog, he might be a man of sense and possibly of conscience. At any rate he would tell us something or confirm our doubts by refusing to tell us anything. We found Mr. Grimes seated in a very neat little back parlor, and were peculiarly taken by the appearance of a lady in a little cap and black silk gown, whom we soon found to be Mrs. Grimes. Had we ventured to employ our intellect in personifying for ourselves an imaginary Mrs. Grimes, as the landlady of a spotted dog public-house in Liquor Pond Street, the figure we should have built up for ourselves would have been the very opposite of that which this lady presented to us. She was slim and young and pretty, and had pleasant little tricks of words, in spite of occasional slips in her grammar, which made us almost think that it might be our duty to come often to the spotted dog to inquire about Mr. Julius Mackenzie. Mr. Grimes was a man about forty, fully ten years the senior of his wife, with a clear gray eye and a mouth and chin from which we surmised that he would be competent to clear the spotted dog of unruly visitors after twelve o'clock, whenever it might be his wish to do so. We soon made known our request. Mr. Mackenzie had come to us for literary employment. Could they tell us anything about Mr. Mackenzie? He's as clever an author in the way of writing and that kind of thing as there is in all London, said Mrs. Grimes with energy. Perhaps her opinion ought not to have been taken for much, but it had its weight. I've explained, however, that at the present moment we were specially anxious to know something of the gentleman's character and mode of life. Mr. Grimes, whose manner to us was quite courteous, sat silent, thinking how to answer us. His more impulsive and friendly wife was again ready with her assurance. There ain't an honester gentleman breathing, and I say he is a gentleman though he's that poor he hasn't sometimes a shirt to his back. "'I don't think he's ever very well off for shirts,' said Mr. Grimes. "'I wouldn't be slow to give him one of yours, John. Only I know he wouldn't take it,' said Mrs. Grimes. "'Well, now, look here, sir. We've that feeling for him that our young woman there would draw anything for him he'd ask, money or no money.' She'd never venture to name money to him if he wanted a glass of anything, hot or cold, beer or spirits. Isn't that so, John? She's fool enough for anything, as far as I know, said Mr. Grimes. She ain't no fool at all, and I'd do the same if I was there, and so'd you, John. There is nothing Mackenzie'd ask as he wouldn't give him said Mrs. Grimes, pointing with her thumb over her shoulder to her husband, who was standing on the hearth-rug. That is, in the way of drawing liquor and refreshments and such like. 
but he never raised a glass to his lips in this house as he didn't pay for nor yet took a biscuit out of that basket he's a gentleman all over is mackenzie it was strong testimony but still we had not quite got at the bottom of the matter doesn't he raise a great many glasses to his lips we asked no he don't said mrs grimes only in reason he's had misfortunes said mr grimes indeed he has said the lady what i call the very troublesomest of troubles if you was troubled like him john where'd you be i know where you'd be said john he's got a bad wife sir the worst as ever was continued mrs grimes talk of drink there is nothing that woman wouldn't do for it she'd pawn the very clothes off her children's back in midwinter to get it she'd rob the food out of her husband's mouth for a drop of gin as for herself she ain't no woman's notions left of keeping herself anyway she'd as soon be picked out of the gutter as not and as for words out of her mouth or clothes on her back she hasn't got sir not an item of a female's feelings left about her mrs grimes had been very eloquent and had painted the troublesomest of all troubles with glowing words this was what the wretched man had come to by marrying a woman who was not a lady in order that he might escape the conventional thraldom of gentility but still the drunken wife was not all there was the evidence of his own nose against him and the additional fact that he had acknowledged himself to have been formerly a drunkard i suppose he has drunk himself we said he has drunk in course said mrs grimes the world has been pretty rough with him sir said mr grimes but he don't drink now continued the lady at least if he do we don't see it as for her she wouldn't show herself inside our door it ain't often that a man and his wife draws their milk from the same cow said mr grimes but mackenzie is here every day of his life said mrs grimes when he's got a sixpence to pay for it he'll come in here and have a glass of beer and a bit of something to eat we does make him a little extra welcome and that's the truth of it we knows what he is and we knows what he was as for book learning sir it don't matter what language it is it's all as one to him he knows em all round just as i know my catechism can't you say fairer than that for him polly asked mr grimes don't you talk of catechisms john nor yet of nothing else as a man ought to set his mind to unless it is keeping the spotted dog but as for mackenzie he knows off by heart whole books full of learning there were some furriners here as come from i don't know where that was they came from only it wasn't france nor yet germany and he talked to them just as though he hadn't been born in england at all i don't think there ever was such a man for knowing things he'd go on with poetry out of his own head till you think it come from him like a web from a spider we could not help thinking of the wonderful companionship which there must have been in that parlor while the reduced man was spinning his web and mrs grimes with her needlework lying idle in her lap 
was sitting by, listening with rapt admiration. In passing by the spotted dog one would not imagine such a scene to have its existence within. But then so many things do have existence of which we imagine nothing. Mr. Grimes ended the interview. The fact is, sir, if you can give him employment better than what he has now, you'll be helping a man who has seen better days, and who only wants help to see him again. He has got it all there, and Mr. Grimes put his finger up to his head. He has got it all here, too, said Mrs. Grimes, laying her hand upon her heart. Whereupon we took our leave, suggesting to these excellent friends that if it should come to pass that we had further dealings with Mr. Mackenzie, we might perhaps trouble them again. They assured us that we should always be welcome, and Mr. Grimes himself saw us to the door, having made profuse offers of such good cheer as the house afforded. We were upon the whole much taken with the spotted dog. From thence we went to the office of the Penny Dreadful, in the vicinity of Fleet Street. As we walked thither we could not but think of Mrs. Grimes' words, the troublesomest of troubles. We acknowledged to ourselves that they were true words. Can there be any trouble more troublesome than that of suffering from the shame inflicted by a degraded wife? We had just parted from Mr. Grimes, not indeed having seen very much of him in the course of our interview, but little as we had seen, we were sure that he was assisted in his position by a buoyant pride in that he called himself the master and owner and husband of Mrs. Grimes. In the very step with which he passed in and out of his own door, you could see that there was nothing that he was ashamed of about his household. When abroad, he could talk of his missus with a conviction that the picture which the word would convey to all who heard him would redound to his honor. But what must have been the reflections of Julius Mackenzie when his mind dwelt upon his wife? We remembered the words of his letter. I have a wife and four children, which burden forbids me to free myself from all care with a bare bodkin. As we thought of them, and of the story which had been told to us at the spotted dog, they lost that tone of rhodomontade with which they had invested themselves when we first read them. A wife who is indifferent to being picked out of the gutter, and who will pawn her children's clothes for gin, must be a trouble than which none can be more troublesome. We did not find that we ingratiated ourselves with the people at the office of the periodical for which Mr. Mackenzie worked, and yet we endeavored to do so, assuming in our manner and tone something of the familiarity of a common pursuit. After much delay we came upon a gentleman sitting in a dark cupboard, who twisted round his stool to face us while he spoke to us. We believe that he was the editor of more than one penny dreadful, and that as many as a dozen serial novels were being issued to the world at the same time, under his supervision. Oh, said he, so you're at that game, are you? We assured him that we were at no game at all, but were simply influenced by a desire to assist a distressed scholar. That be blowed, said our brother. Mackenzie's doing as well here as he'll do anywhere. 
He's a drunken blackguard, when all's said and done. So you're going to buy him up, are you? You won't keep him long, and then he'll have to starve. We assured the gentleman that we had no desire to buy up Mr. Mackenzie. We explained our ideas as to the freedom of the literary profession, in accordance with which Mr. Mackenzie could not be wrong in applying to us for work and we especially deprecated any severity on our brother's part towards the man, more especially begging that nothing might be decided, as we were far from thinking it certain that we could provide Mr. Mackenzie with any literary employment. "'That's all right,' said our brother, twisting back his stool. "'He can't work for both of us, that's all. He has his bread here regular, week after week, and I don't suppose you'll do as much as that for him.' Then we went away, shaking the dust off our feet, and wondering much at the great development of literature which latter years have produced. We had not even known of the existence of these papers, and yet there they were, going forth into the hands of hundreds of thousands of readers, all of whom were being more or less instructed in their modes of life and manner of thinking by the stories which were thus brought before them. But there might be truth in what our brother had said to us. Should Mr. Mackenzie abandon his present engagement for the sake of the job which we proposed to put in his hands, might he not thereby injure rather than improve his prospects? We were acquainted with only one learned doctor desirous of having his manuscripts codified and indexed at his own expense. As for writing for the periodical with which we were connected, we knew enough of the business to be aware that Mr. Mackenzie's gifts of erudition would very probably not so much assist him in attempting such work as would his late training act against him. A man might be able to read and even talk a dozen languages, just as though he hadn't been born in England at all, and yet not write the language with which we dealt after the fashion which suited our readers. It might be that he would fly much above our heads, and do work infinitely too big for us. We did not regard our own heads as being very high. But for such altitude as they held, a certain class of writing was adapted. The gentleman whom we had just left would require, no doubt, altogether another style. It was probable that Mr. McKinsey had already fitted himself to his present audience, and even were it not so, we could not promise him forty-five shillings a week, or even that thirty shillings for which he asked. There is nothing more dangerous than the attempt to befriend a man in middle life by transplanting him from one soil to another. When Mr. Mackenzie came to us again, we endeavored to explain all this to him. We had in the meantime seen our friend the doctor, whose beneficence of spirit in regard to the unfortunate man of letters was extreme. He was charmed with our account of the man, and saw with his mind's eye the work, for the performance of which he was pining, perfected in a manner that would be a blessing to the scholars of all future ages. He was at first anxious to ask Julius Mackenzie down to his rectory, and even after we had explained to him that this would not at present be expedient, was full of a dream of future friendship with a man who would be able to discuss the de gamma with him, 
who would have studied Greek meters and have an opinion of his own as to Porson's canon. We were in possession of the manuscript and had our friend's authority for handing it over to Mr. Mackenzie. He came to us according to appointment, and his nose seemed to be redder than ever. We thought that we discovered a discouraging flavor of spirits in his breath. Mrs. Grimes had declared that he drank only in reason, but the ideas of the wife of a publican, even though that wife were Mrs. Grimes, might be very different from our own as to what was reasonable in that matter. And as we looked at him he seemed to be more rough, more ragged, almost more wretched than before. It might be that, in taking his part with my brother of the penny dreadful, with the doctor, and even with myself in thinking over his claims, I had endowed him with higher qualities than I had been justified in giving to him. As I considered him and his appearance, I certainly could not assure myself that he looked like a man worthy to be trusted. A policeman, seeing him at a street corner, would have had an eye upon him in a moment. He rubbed himself together with his old coat, as men do when they come out of gin shops. His eye was as bright as before, but we thought that his mouth was meaner and his nose redder. We were almost disenchanted with him. We said nothing to him at first about the spotted dog, but suggested to him our fears that if he undertook work at our hands he would lose the much more permanent employment which he got from the gentleman whom we had seen in the cupboard. We then explained to him that we could promise him no continuation of employment. The violence with which he cursed the gentleman who had sat in the cupboard appalled us, and had, we think, some effect in bringing back to us that feeling of respect for him which we had almost lost. It may be difficult to explain why we respected him, because he cursed and swore horribly. We do not like cursing and swearing, and were any of our younger contributors to indulge themselves after that fashion in our presence, we should, at the very least, frown upon them. We did not frown upon Julius Mackenzie, but stood up, gazing into his face above us, again feeling that the man was powerful. Perhaps we respected him because he was not in the least afraid of us. He went on to assert that he cared not, not a straw, we will say, for the gentleman in the cupboard. He knew the gentleman in the cupboard very well, and the gentleman in the cupboard knew him. As long as he took his work to the gentleman in the cupboard, the gentleman in the cupboard would be only too happy to purchase that work at the rate of sixpence for a page of manuscript containing two hundred and fifty words. That was his rate of payment for prose fiction, and at that rate he could earn forty-five shillings a week. He wasn't afraid of the gentleman in the cupboard. He had had some words with the gentleman in the cupboard before now, and they two understood each other very well. He hinted, moreover, that there were other gentlemen in other cupboards, but with none of them could he advance beyond forty-five shillings a week. For this he had to sit with his pen in his hand seven hours, seven days a week, and the very paper, pens, and ink came to fifteen pence out of the money. He had struck for wages once, 
and for a halcyon month or two had carried his point of sevenpence halfpenny a page. But the gentlemen in the cupboards had told him that it could not be. They too must live. His matter was no doubt attractive, but any price above sixpence a page unfitted it for their market. All this Mr. Julius Mackenzie explained to us with much violence of expression. When I named Mrs. Grimes to him, the tone of his voice was altered. Yes, said he, I thought they'd say a word for me. They're the best friends I've got now. I don't know that you ought quite to believe her, for I think she'd perhaps tell a lie to do me a service. We assured him that we did believe every word Mrs. Grimes had said to us. After much pausing over the matter, we told him that we were empowered to trust him with our friend's work, and the manuscript was produced upon the table. If he would undertake the work and perform it, he should be paid eight pounds six shillings eightpence for each of the three volumes as they were completed. And we undertook, moreover, on our own responsibility, to advance him money in small amounts through the hands of Mrs. Grimes, if he really settled himself to the task. At first he was in ecstasies, and as we explained to him the way in which the index should be brought out, and the codification performed, he turned over the pages rapidly, and showed us that he understood, at any rate, the nature of the work to be done. But when we came to details he was less happy. In what workshop was this new work to be performed? There was a moment in which we almost thought of telling him to do the work in our own room. But we hesitated, luckily, remembering that his continual presence with us for two or three months would probably destroy us altogether. It appeared that his present work was done sometimes at the spotted dog, and sometimes at home in his lodgings. He said not a word to us about his wife, but we could understand that there would be periods in which to work at home would be impossible to him. He did not pretend to deny that there might be danger on that score, nor did he ask permission to take the entire manuscript at once away to his abode. We knew that if he took part he must take the whole, as the work could not be done in parts. Counter-references would be needed. My circumstances are bad, very bad indeed, he said. We express the great trouble to which we should be subjected if any evil should happen to the manuscript. I will give it up, he said, towering over us again and shaking his head. I cannot expect that I should be trusted. But we were determined that it should not be given up. Sooner than give the matter up, we would make some arrangement by hiring a place in which he might work. Even though we were to pay ten shillings a week for a room for him out of the money, the bargain would be a good one for him. At last we determined that we would pay a second visit to the spotted dog and consult Mrs. Grimes. We felt that we should have a pleasure in arranging together with Mrs. Grimes any scheme of benevolence on behalf of this unfortunate and remarkable man. So we told him that we would think over the matter and send a letter to his address at the Spotted Dog, which he should receive on the following morning. He then gathered himself up, rubbed himself together again inside his coat, 
and took his departure. End of section 14 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina